0: back to Trenis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host Magnus Boy, and today, guys, I'm going to tell you something. I think today's comic is really going to be a doozy, because for those of you who don't know, or haven't figured it out based upon the cover art that I've posted for this episode, today I'm going to be talking about The Legion of Superheroes Volume 4, Number 4. Now, there's an entire world of bullshit that goes into this episode, I should say this issue, there's an entire world of BS that goes into this issue, and Lord knows I'm going to be talking about that stuff soon enough, but one of the things that I said in the last episode, and I kind of have no choice but to reaffirm here, is the reality that, The Legion of Superheroes simply have fewer access points than a lot of other, a lot of other characters, a lot of other teams, basically a lot of other comics. And what I mean by that is, Superman has John Byrne's Man of Steel. You can read that and it'll tell you everything you need to know, at least in order to get into those, those six particular issues, right? Uh, Batman has the Dark Knight Returns. And there's a beginning, a middle, and an end to that storyline. Anybody can pick it up and read it and get a, a complete story out of it, start to finish, et cetera, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. A lot of comics have access points, right? A lot of comics have those big, famous marquee storylines that in theory, anybody can read, and enjoy or at the very least read and follow start to finish and the legion of superheroes doesn't really have anything like that i mean it's tempting to say something like the greatest hero of them all except not only do you need to have a working knowledge of legion history in order to follow that story not only do you need to have A pretty in-depth familiarity with recent goings-on in the Legion uh, comics of the Legion comic uh, the issues of that that had been coming out up to that point not only do you need to have at the very least a kind of a passing uh, uh, awareness of goings-on in the Superman titles of about that same time because of the crossover that happened you also need to know a fair amount of bullshit that was happening kind of behind the scenes at at DC Comics following the uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths and then subsequently John Burns' Man of Steel that rebooted Superman. There's a lot of stuff that the story doesn't and really can't tell you about but nevertheless behind the scenes factors are going on that that are going to affect well actually I say affect the story It's because of that behind-the-scenes bullshit that the story the greatest hero of them all it's because of that stuff that that story even fucking exists and so you need to know all of that and so for that reason I wouldn't say that the greatest hero of them all as good as that story may be I still don't think that story is necessarily what you'd give to somebody who knows nothing at all about the Legion and say hey this is what the Legion is all about it just it it requires too much of the reader. So that's out. So what about the Great Darkness Saga? Well, that's a good story. And I, I, you know, my memory of it is that probably most people could read that and they could probably glom on to at least something like 80 or 90% of the story. You'd get most of it. The problem is my again i haven't read the great darkness saga in years and maybe i should talk about it at some point but the great darkness saga really isn't all that great you know it's it's good and it certainly does uh, a lot to develop dark side as a as a really dangerous threat to the entire galaxy he's somebody that even the legion of superheroes have good cause to be afraid of so on and so on but the simple reality is I wouldn't point to that story and say man that's a fucking amazing story it's just there are just not a whole lot of marquee legion of superheroes stories out there that you can give to somebody who knows exactly dick about the legion and they'd be able to figure it out you know they'd be able to follow the story they would understand the characters they they'd get enough to really savor that story on more or less the same level as a hardcore fan would those, those stories just don't seem to fucking exist, okay? I just, they don't. And so, what I'm... The point I'm trying to make here is, I kind of regard the Legion of Superheroes as... Uh, this is sort of... This is the, you know, in, in the same kind of way that, that Deadpool is the comic book for people who hate comic books... I would say that Legion of Superheroes this is the comic book for people who love comic books. And so this requires a this this title this concept, you know, the Legion. It requires an affection for comic books just as a form, the types of stories that can be told really only in comics and you need to have a pretty decent understanding at least of not necessarily, you know, the blood and guts of, uh, Legion continuity, but you, you at the very least need to understand that there is such a thing as continuity, and it is important to, especially, one might, one might say especially to, uh, a, 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 a title like the Legion of Superheroes, right? Continuity really is make it or break it for, for the Legion in a way that I don't know is necessarily true. For for other comics, you know? And so there's gotta be at least a couple of people who are listening to this right now who have never picked up a Legion of Superhero stories in their entire lives. So this is the think of this as a thought experiment, alright? This is the challenge that I'm making to all of you. Alright? Everyone listening to this who doesn't really know very much about the Legion and certainly hasn't read a whole lot of Legion comics, I want you to track down. Legion of Superheroes, Volume 4, Number 4, and just read it. And then I want you to write in and let me know, what was your reading experience like? How lost were you? How chaotic is this issue? I want to know because it kind of feeds into this idea I have that not just anybody, even among comic book fans, not just anybody can pick up a Legion of Superheroes comic and follow it. And so, i'll go out on a limb and suggest that if you don't know very much about the legion of superheroes and you're just really not all that familiar with uh, the title with the characters one may even suggest you're not even really all that familiar even with the concept i want you to track down legion of superheroes number four read it start to finish and then realize reading comics for normies for civilians for the mainstream just whatever you want to call them what you experience reading Legion of Superheroes number four, that's what reading any comic book is like for, for the normies, all right? And it, it's just, there was a time when it wasn't really like that. There was a time when comics were written and, well, most comics were written so as to be accessible to uh, new readers. And it's like, that just doesn't happen anymore. You know and i would even say that they were drawn in a way to to be accessible to people who don't know anything about comics and they're not drawn that way anymore so they're not written that way anymore they're not drawn that way anymore and the i'm guessing anyone who doesn't know very much about the legion who picks up legion of superheroes number four uh, that is to say legion of superheroes volume four number four anyone who isn't super familiar with the legion who just reads this issue completely in a vacuum you're going to be pretty lost i would imagine and that sense of loss and not really having an anchor point you don't completely understand what's going on that's what most comic books are like to the normies just keep that in mind so anyway i've rambled on quite a bit here so uh, i've got a lot to talk about and it's probably just about time that i get to it so this is Legion of Superheroes, volume 4, number 4. Cover date is February 1990. Uh, the cover is drawn by uh, the GIF. Pencils done by the GIF. Uh, inks done by the GIF. Writer is the GIF and Tom and Mary Beerbomb. Letterer is Todd Klein. Editor is Mark Wade. Story synopsis is as follows. On the planet, Talok 8, the Planetary Council decide to name... Uh, her, decide to name Shadow Lass's cousin, Shadow Kid, the new planet protector. The reason for this is because Tasmia, formerly codenamed Shadow Lass, has never truly recovered from the death of Monel, which is to say her love. Suddenly, Mon-El arrives to greet Tasmia in her home, much to her shock. He explains that a part of the Time Trapper is inside his body. That's why he, meaning Monel, is not dead. The couple realize they need to visit Brainiac 5 if they want to get all of this stuff sorted out and to help Monel in his precarious situation. They reach Brainiac 5, and amidst his testing, the Time Trapper plucks Monel from Brainy's lab and whisks him away. Back in the lab, a probe robot prevents Brainiac 5 and Tasmia from following the Time Trapper, but Tasmia makes short work out of it. Elsewhere, in the dead burnt-out remains of the pocket universe, the Time Trapper explains to Monel that he created the Legion of Superheroes. The Legionnaires were simply the useful idiots whom the Time Trapper used to achieve his own goals. It was Mordrew's destiny to rise up and rule the entire universe for an entire millennium, but the Time Trapper also wants to rule the universe, and the universe ain't big enough for both of them. So, the Time Trapper used the legion of super he created and used the legion of superheroes to thwart mordru. the legion de- has defeated mordru, which has allowed the time trapper's machinations to continue. he still indirectly controls the fate of the universe. the issue though is that mordru would have noticed if the time trapper had created the legion in the main universe. so the time trapper really had no choice except to create the pocket universe so that when 30th century time travelers visit uh, visit what they think the past uh, what they think is the past they're actually visiting the pocket universe and there they met the pocket universe superboy inspired by superboy's example they became the legion of superheroes and as i say the legion has defeated mordrew which is how the time trapper was able to maintain some semblance of control over the main universe although not as direct as he might have liked so Having said all of that, Monel and the Time Trapper duke it out for a little while, and the Trapper realizes that Monel's power has grown to such a level that he, meaning Monel, is now powerful enough to kill his own creator, which is to say, the Time Trapper. Monel has been threatening to kill the Time Trapper this entire time, and the Trapper realizes he's actually powerful enough now to do it. But the Time Trapper warns Monel that if he dies, Meaning, if the t- the time trapper himself dies, time will be changed, and Monel will not exist anymore. In fact, the time trapper will never have existed in the first place, which means Monel will never have existed in the first place. That could lead to a lot of chaos, not least of which being the possible rise of Mordru. Undeterred, Monel declares that he's willing to take all of those risks in order to destroy the time trapper. Monel delivers the killing blow on the time-trapper, and everything fades to white. To be continued. Although everything faded to white, so hmm, maybe not. But anyway, so <clears throat> what did I think? Well, <clears throat> guys, uh, from the jump, and I mean literally from the very beginning on the cover of uh, of this issue, I would say that you should pretty well know what this issue is up to if you're familiar with the whole five years later shtick and the things that have gone on. Because issues number uh, issue numbers uh, one through three, they basically had just kind of uh, somber and I would say kind of dark covers. Somewhat number two is an exception to that, but generally these are not necessarily action-packed and adventure, uh, you know, adventuresome or adventurous and heroic types of covers. I mean, these generally show, you know, heroes in the throes of defeat, or in some cases, shows them dead. That's not really what we see happening on the cover of issue number four, though. Here we see Monel, large and in charge. He's alive and well. He looks kind of pissed off, and he also looks like he's just about ready to kick some serious ass so right from the start this this cover is just visually different from issues number uh issue numbers 1 through 3 so there's that to go uh there's that to work with but as you get you, you get into the blood and guts of this story meaning this specific issue yes there's a slugfest yeah there's a you know there there's this big moment where uh, monel and uh the time trapper, you know, duke it out with one another and both of them are bleeding and they're, you know, pretty severely injured but generally speaking this is a this is a more cerebral issue than you might think. So then again, if you've already read this issue, you know exactly how cerebral it is. So anyway, but one of the other things that really sets this issue uh, apart from everything that that that's come before is that again? Issue numbers uh, one through three; those tended to focus primarily on a on a, on a pretty narrow cast of characters. You had uh, Rock, Reap, Joe, Vi, uh, Ayla, so on and so forth. Right? Those have been primarily the one the, the characters who have gotten the lion's share of attention in issues uh, numbers uh, one through three. Right. Not so much here here we focus on yet different characters. We catch up with Brainiac Five, there's Tasmia, and there's also a very much alive Monel and so just not just in terms of the cover, not even just in terms of the the ins and outs of the story that's between the covers this. Issue focuses on very different characters than the series has focused on up to this point. So, all in all, anyone who'd been reading Le- the way I think it works, you know, I, I, I can't, I probably shouldn't say this as, you know, a definite fact, but my guess is that anyone who'd been following the five years later Legion, all through issue number one, all through issue number two, all through issue number three, when they picked up issue number 4 in every possible conceivable way this was a serious change of pace so not really sure what my point is in saying all of that i just wanted to throw it out there anyway but uh page 1 picks up on talic 8 and it's basically what's well, basically Tasmia being relieved of her role as the planetary protector it's it's basically being uh, given over to her brother, and for her own part, Tasmia pretty much rolls with this. I mean, she's very well aware of the fact that I don't even know how else to describe it, except that she's basically emotionally crippled following the death of Monel. Now, guys, you need to understand this storyline is not happening in a vacuum. All right, this takes place five years after the original series ended, right? meaning it's a minimum of five years since Monel died. And here it is, all this time later, Tasmia is still broken by what happened to Monel. I mean this isn't something this was no and I think it's actually kind of obvious. If if you read volume three, it's pretty it's pretty obvious that what Tasmia had with Monel, this wasn't a passing fling. You know, this meant something to her. And it's here that we find out just how much Ma- Monel actually meant to her. And, you know, apart from the fact that it, this is just good writing, it works as an effective framing device for this uh, story. It adds a lot of extra drama that the story starts with Tasmia still pining away from Monel, still grieving his loss. And then she gets him back for a very brief moment, and then she loses him again. And that's pretty heavy. I mean, it's easy, I think, to kind of sympathize with where is coming from in all of this. So anyway, if you've listened to the shows that I've done about the five years later Legion of Superheroes stuff, you know by now that I've spent quite a bit of time kissing the GIF's ass. But I got to tell you guys, this is a great way to start this issue off. It's a talkie moment, which is kind of a no-no in comics, you know, the unofficial sort of guideline rule of thumb for superhero comics from the 60s, to, I would say just about the 80s, is that you want page one to have something big and expressive and splashy and flashy and maybe action-oriented to grab people's attention right away. And there's a lot of internal monologue on this page one. There's a lot of uh, whispered dialogue and people being unsure in, in their motives, unsure in their purpose. You know, it's it's just, it's a very dramatic page one. It's not a big fancy action spectacle page one, which here again is one of the reasons why the GIF is a master. So anyway, moving right along, we cut to outer space. This is on uh, page two. And in in uh, panels one through, well, I would say, actually I, not panels one through anything. Throughout this entire page, there's a lot of implied m- sort of point of view movement. Like if you could just imagine that this is a, this is a camera movement. I mean, the camera is just blasting through space at nearly limitless speed and the star fields are just changing so rapidly and things are, are, are just zooming by. In panel four, we see, uh, we, we see a 8 from afar and yeah, this is panel four. And we see Talic from really, really far away. In panel five, it's practically uh from from one end to the other, it's almost uh filling up the entire panel. In panel six, it is filling up the entire panel. I mean, that is how fucking fast Monel is flying. I mean, he basically at the end of uh issue number three, he exits his own tomb, takes off into the sky, and what we see and and this was on um this was in his tomb on a a shanghala. zooms off into the sky, and what we see is he actually, the first thing he did after coming back to life, or at least after exiting his own tomb, is haul balls over to Talak-8 to pay a visit to Tasmia. All right, so this, in its own weird kind of way, this is sort of a point, counterpoint, with what we saw on page one. Page one, we saw Tasmia openly and... Uh, I would say even explicitly, <clears throat> continuing to mourn the loss of Monel. She wants him back. Well, on page two, we see that the feeling is very mutual. Monel wants her back, and he's literally zooming across the entire fucking galaxy to make that happen. And that is just. And, and notwithstanding the fact that's just some really dramatic writing, God, I love this page. It's just so cool. He's flying around. He's so fast. And this is—I don't know if I did such a good job of explaining this, but for those of you who aren't following along uh, with me reading this issue as I as I go through it, this is totally a point of view shot. All right, this entire page—it's all shown from Monel's point of view. So every single one of these panels, this is what Monel is is seeing as he's flying across the galaxy and hauling ass to Talak-8. But on top of all that, we're getting. It's actually three separate internal voices, right? Three separate consciousnesses are talking to each other inside of Monel's noggin. So we've got Monel, the guy who is truly incorruptible and totally pure of purpose. There's the time trapper, who, for all practical purposes, is the embodiment of all wickedness and evil, at least in this story, this specific issue. And then there's also Eltro, uh, uh, El-tro Gand, who is. It, it, it comes out in. Actually, it comes out on this page that Eltro has been somewhat broken by his experiences of inhabiting Monel's body. He has access to Monel's memories. Monel's experiences are now Eltro's experiences. And the simple fact of the matter, guys, is Monel spent a thousand years in the Phantom Zone. Just imagine how much of that would suck. And Monel basically he had no choice but to endure it. And I, I would imagine, you know, it's basically a thousand years of solitary confinement. I mean, look, there are a lot of people who think that solitary confinement, just as we know it today, constitutes torture under the Geneva Conventions. And I'm not really here to, to comment on that. Really, one way or the other. But what I'll say is that just imagine a thousand years of solitary confinement. Monel basically had to make himself strong enough to withstand that. Eltro was subjected to Monel's memory of that horrible, horrible experience, but without any of Monel's mental discipline. The end result of this is that experiencing those memories, Monel's memories of the Phantom Zone, for himself has pretty much fucking broke Eltro. And so Eltro comes along as, or he comes across as just really weak. I mean, this guy's already uh, on his way to to defeat as it is. And indeed, he does get completely defeated in this story. But he's already like 90% of the way there, right here on page two. And so it's not immediately clear who all these different voices are. You can tell one from the other because mon has, uh, his, his captions are just colored pink and they're pretty conventional comic book captions. I mean, there's really not a whole lot else you can say for him. Uh, Eltro's, Eltro's, uh, in, internal monologue, his captions, they're, they're really uneven. They're just sort of broken off at the edges. They're very frayed, very worn down. And it becomes pretty apparent that this is a reflection of Eltro's own psyche, all right? His, his thought captions, his monologue captions, they're basically a visual representation of how broken poor Eltro is already. And then the third set of captions, these again look somewhat like like conventional uh, comic book captions except they've got a sort of expanded white border around them. And these represent the thoughts of the time trapper. And so you have these three different voices that are sort of talking to each other and yet not really talking. They're as much talking to themselves as they are talking to each other. And so try not to think of this as sort of linear dialog Mon-El's, Monel's captions are directed to himself, as much as they are to everybody else. Same thing with the Time Trapper. Same thing with El Gand. I mean, they can all hear one another, so to speak, but they're also thinking to themselves as well. And this is, again, it's just really clever, really powerful, just fucking astoundingly good writing from uh, the GIF. So anyway, all in all, page one was a winner. Page two is another winner. So we see, and this is getting into page three, we see we see Tasmia, and she's she's playing what looks sort of like a viola or something, a violin maybe. Uh, it, it's basically, I, I I guess, violins as they are on t- Talek 8. I, mean, I don't really know. But whatever it is, she's basically playing songs to herself to kind of try cheering herself up, knowing as she does that it's probably not going to work. So... Out of nowhere, Monel, naked as the day he was born, steps into the room and starts talking to to Tasmia, and <clears throat> basically telling her that he's back. And so on page four, it's it's really impressionistic. Again, we get more of more of the internal captions of Eltrogand and the Time Trapper, Monel. <clears throat> Monel is verbalizing his thoughts, and certainly Tasmia is verbalizing hers, but we can't really see anything. We can't really see what's going on. These panels are all blurred up. And so you can't really tell what's going on. You can infer a lot of things, but you you can't really be certain of what's going on. And I think it's suggested based on based on the 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 time trappers uh, captions and just his disgust at things he's he's basically revolted by the hugging that that tasme and monel are doing i assume they're also kissing too because you know they haven't seen each other in all these years at the very least they're going to give each other a peck on the cheek right and this is just so disgusting it is disgusting to the Time Trapper to have to experience this, because he is experiencing this. It's Monell doing it, but the Time Trapper is experiencing it as well, and to him, I mean, this has just got to be vulgar in the extreme, and again, this is just an, some really insightful writing on the gift's part that he realizes this isn't something that the Time Trapper would, would be all that warm to. He wouldn't want to have to experience all of that. So, anyway, it's just he's sickened by it. It's just I, I like it. It's really well done. So anyway, um, skipping ahead a bit, we get we get a little bit of insight into what exactly it is that happened. This is on page seven. And basically it's the time trapper forcing Eltro Gand to relive first the death of Monel. The first time around, when Eltrogand gotten basically took possession of Monel's body, and then his actual death—you know, basically what it was that happened—this was all an attempt on Eltrogand's part to thwart a dream girl's prophecy, and it didn't work. And so the end result of all of this is, well, Monel ended up dying. And at this point, this is on page seven, getting to the bottom of page seven, in fact. Eltro Gand is begging for mercy, and you get the idea that this is the moment right here on page seven in uh, panel nine, or, or panels eight and nine, that the, the trapper has just about had his fill of Eltro Gand and his bullshit. And so he basically kills him, he banishes him from. From Monell's uh, consciousness. So, in actual fact, there are only two, two, voices in Monel's head now: his own, and the Time Trapper. And we start getting a sense of this on page eight. Uh, Brainy is is running a brain scan on on Monell, and he's basically uh, he's detected three separate signatures, and one of those is really faint, and it's getting weaker all the time. And that is what's left of poor Eltrogand, and he's basically he's history at this point. And so Brainiac is—he's basically trying to remove the time trapper from Monel's consciousness, from Monel's body, whatever you want to call it. And as all that's happening, this is getting into uh, this is uh, page nine. This is a sort of. I get the idea that this is sort of the time trapper's mind within mind. Mentally, the time trapper still sees himself at the end of time, and he's just wandering around uh, the wastelands. And he starts explaining a little bit of what what he was up to with all of this. What was his long term plan in fucking with the legion as as long as he did? And so his internal monologue uh, says, Once I was satisfied with my realm at the end of time. The populated eons could be left to lesser tyrants. I had my domain. Once. It was enough that in the end I would win and all others would crumble to dust. But no. How is that just? The biological life so briefly nurtured by the universe must be ruled by the mightiest force in... The universe it's my duty to conquer the populated eras and so the great game to channel history uh, so the advantage would fall to me when my powers reach their peak to set in motion the forces needed to halt the great to halt uh, the great wizard mordrew's uh, rise in the 30th century beat back the ascendancy of magic to give birth to the puppets who would make it possible for me to conquer the universe. And at the bottom of page 10 and panel eight, we see what looks, it's basically the time trapper pregnant. And he's talking about giving birth basically to the Legion. And so this is basically symbolizing the act of the time trapper creating the Legion. He's not literally giving birth to them. He's cre- he's engineering circumstances to allow the Legion to exist. And, his, uh, I don't know, reverie, his thoughts, his reflections are basically interrupted by a brainiac making some serious progress in removing the time trapper from Monel's body. And so that's the moment when the time trapper realizes, nope, it's time to act. I'm going to have to nip this in the bud right now. And so on page 10, this is this is basically the moment when monel gets plucked out of brainiac's office brainiac 5's office and then whisked away now i've done a tiny little bit of reading online you know other people's thoughts about this issue legion of superheroes number 4 and it seems that a lot of people seem to believe that what the time trapper did was take monel to the end of time and there they're going to have their big dookeroo And I don't think that's where they are, guys. I think that the Time Trapper took mon to Earth in the Pocket Universe. And I'm going to be sort of explaining all of that and arguing that point a little bit later. But as it is, this is where I think all of this, you know, this big confrontation between mon and the Time Trapper, this is where I think it's going on. So... Uh, oh, by the way, uh, I said I was going to explain why it is that I think they're that they're in the pocket universe, page eleven, panel two. The time trapper says, "I've taken you to the universe that spawned you, which can logically only be the pocket universe, right?" So anyway, so the time trapper says, "It's here that I that I will beat you, beat your soul back into submission. Here I created you to serve as the vessel for a conqueror." My escape hatch, should I ever require one. An invulnerable form to house my essence. But now that the Legion has all but destroyed me, I have need of that essence, and I will have you. And so, basically, what Monel says is, hey, look, you want me? You're gonna have to kill me, because there's no way I'm gonna willingly cooperate with you. So after that, the fight's on. It's basically the, the, the Time Trapper beating the shit out of mon Monel beating the shit out of the time trapper. And this is, when you think about it, I mean the temptation had to be there for the gift to make this a, a fight that's happening inside of Monel's imagination. You know, it's happening inside his mind in some way or another. And instead of doing that, this is a very literal, very real-world pocket universe, but still real-world uh showdown that Monel and the trapper are having with each other here. And guys, no punches are being pulled here. They're both giving it everything that they've got. And so Monel decides, you know, basically the time trapper talks shit a little bit. He says, you can't really hurt me. I can always restore whatever damage that you do to me. And so Monel takes that as a challenge and says, Okay, well then I guess we'll I, I guess we're gonna find out just how fast you can restore the damage that I do. And then after that This was always a a pretty intensive smackdown. Now this thing is basically like nuclear fucking war. I mean, they're really going at it now. And so on page 17, the Time Trapper realizes, shit, I'm losing this fight, you know? He begs Monel to stop, and he's like, look, you must listen. You have to know what you risk, all right? And then from there, he just starts cursing the fact that he gave... He gave up his control over Monel's body way too soon. Monel is too strong, and the Time Trapper just isn't strong enough yet, right? And so he, he's he's taken on a physical form, but he's really fucked up. It looks like he's basically made completely out of sand and dust and everything, and he's not really able to maintain a corporeal form all that well. And so he basically puts on his usual purple robe and everything, and. He says, I'm still your superior, still your creator, and that is why you can never kill me. You see, I am entropy. I will always, inevitably, rule at the end of time. But my ambition to rule the populated eons was thwarted by the rise of magic, by the reign of Mordred. What you don't know, child, is that before I created you and your brothers to oppose him, Mordru was destined to rise and conquer all, to rule the universe for a millennium. And just think about that, guys. Mordru running the show for a thousand years? Holy shit! It's like all at once, spending a thousand years in the Phantom Zone seems kind of like a pleasant vacation, you know? So... Time Trapper goes on to say, that, meaning the rise of Mordru, that could not be allowed to happen. So. I set in motion my plans. But tools crafted in this reality would be noticed by Mordru, meaning in the the main universe, the real universe, whatever you want to call it. Mordru would notice what was going on and then he'd get involved. So, I shaped a, a warped mock universe to my needs. Laid my groundwork on this mockery of Earth, a place shielded from Mordru's gaze. And when 30th century men dared to invade my realm, which is to say the time stream, and attempt time travel, I warped all timelines so they traveled to the past, not of their Earth, but of my Earth. There they found a timeless legend of teen Valor, of my making, referring to Superboy. I in turn moved through, a, moved through time a great financier who found inspiration in that legend meaning R.J. RJ Brand being inspired by Superboy. Trapper goes on to say, And after your thousand-year exile, you were delivered to them as well. With the inspirational legends, the financiers, your great powers all in place. My child, the Legion of Superheroes, was born. And guys, that basically lays out the entire purpose of what the Time Trapper was trying to do. That lays everything out in six panels. Never doubt the gift, guys. He's a force to be reckoned with. Six panels is all he needed to get the job done and explain what the Time Trapper's really been up to here on page 19. So, moving along from there, yes, all those journeys through time brought the Legion to my Earth, all of you, puppets on my strings. There was one exception, but he has been punished. Over the years, I watched my child grow, measure up to the challenge. The Legion held Mordrew in check and defeated many, many others. And I just want to put this whole thing just kind of on pause. You know, we're right here at the top of page 20. I want to put all of this on pause and say, guys, you need to understand something. You know, what we're saying here is that... The Legion has basically been unwittingly doing the Time Trapper's bidding throughout their entire existence. That's what the Time Trapper is saying here. Everything that we've ever seen the Legion of Superheroes accomplish, everything that uh, Superboy ever uh, ever stood for in inspiring uh, the existence of the Legion, everything we've ever seen uh, Mon-El endure, overcome, survive, die from, or, or just whatever, all of those things were meant to serve the Time Trapper's agenda. Specifically, keeping Mordru from ever being strong enough to take over the, the entire galaxy and basically have a thousand years of uh, magical tyranny is pretty much what we're talking about. And you need to understand that depending on how you look at it, that does cast a little bit of a shadow over the heroics of the Legion. Every major thing that they... Or, for that matter, every minor thing. Everything that the, that the Legion has ever achieved. Some people would see that stuff as having been colored. And some would say diminished. By the fact that they were, in essence, they, they, were, they were serving the Time Trapper's will. Now, my answer to that is, guys, look. We all come to life, all right? Anything, whether it's uh, just life experiences, your careers, uh, the stuff that you consume as entertainment, comic books that you read, TV shows that you watch. We are all the product of our life experiences. And we all have some kind of worldview. And for me, at the risk of, I don't wanna get too sectarian here, but I, I do wanna say that I'm Catholic. And being Catholic, I have a Catholic viewpoint on a lot of different things. One of which is morality and personal conduct, behavior. And the reality of life, guys, this is an ugly fact of life, but, you know, truth is, sometimes there there are no real black and white situations, you know? It's nice to think, you know, when you're a kid that, it's always easy to recognize right from wrong. But sometimes there's no clear right answer to something. And the best you can do is just choose the least bad option that's available to you. Does that make sense? Sometimes you don't have the option of a perfectly good and just choice. Sometimes you have to, you, you have to choose between two imperfect options. And so, there's an argument that by, in effect, somewhat protecting the Time Trapper and allowing him to gather strength so that he can attempt to take over literally all of creation, past, present, and future, there's an argument that the Legion of Superheroes aren't really such great heroes after all. And again, I'm Catholic, so my view on that is that, your intent matters you know if you intend bad even if something good comes from that you still intended bad so the ends don't justify the means and in a certain kind of way you know verse vice if you intend good and bad things come from it here again you're not You're not morally culpable. You may be personally culpable. In some cases, you may even be legally culpable. But morally culpable, not so much. All right? You intend good. And one of the things that has always sort of kind of bothered me about uh, the Thomists and just sort of Thomist thinking. Look, I love Thomas Aquinas, okay? I really do. But one of the kind of unfortunate uh, legacies that that Thomas thought has, is this, this obsession with ethics and this obsession with knowing things that can't possibly be known, controlling things that can't possibly be controlled. The Thomists, and I would say Thomism, they sort of expect limited and incomplete people to have a level of dexterity and control that is simply, I'm sorry, beyond us and so are the legion of superheroes less heroic less less virtuous less noble or whatever else because they were unwitting pawns of the time trappers machinations my answer to that is a resounding no the simple fact of the matter is whatever else they ever achieved they kept more true down the simple fact of doing that saved for all anybody knows billions upon billions of lives people all through history past present and future they have some some kind of if they don't actually have freedom they at least have the yearning for it they have the possibility of it they have a realistic struggle to achieve it to to have access to conditions which will permit growth and that's really the fundamental nature of freedom. And if you don't have that, you don't have freedom. It doesn't matter how otherwise idyllic your existence might be. You you are not truly free. If you're not free to fail, you're not truly free. And if you're not free to rise up, you're not truly free. And that is something that the Legion gave to to the entire galaxy again and again and again, all throughout their history. And so this idea that somehow they're they're morally culpable... For the time-trapper gathering strength, because they were being used to, like I say, in essence, to 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 keep more down. This is just simply wrong-headed thinking, guys, and it it ignores, like I say, the millions of lives, billions probably, that the Legion have that the Legion of Superheroes has saved, over and over and over again, entire worlds that wouldn't exist without the Legion of Superheroes' intervention, you know? And to me, it doesn't matter what... This is my point. It doesn't really matter that the outcome of this, that the Legion did not intend, was strengthening the Time Trapper, the fact that they saved the universe so many times. Oh, and by the way, kept Mordrew from ever achieving real power. That gives all of their actions an un- impeachable nobility, at least in my mind. So I don't know how many of you get get caught up in moral or ethical uh, dilemmas about your own actions and their outcomes and stuff. Guys, there are limits to how far we can really control the effects of our actions. All we can do is will the good of others and for ourselves and just hope for the best you know, I'm not saying that there isn't right and wrong, there is, but this idea that negative ramifications or negative consequences that are brought about by inherently noble intentions, there are, I'm not saying that you're never responsible for it, but in the great majority of cases, guys, you're not re- You're not really responsible for having a pure will, a pure intent, and a pure conscience, uh, conscience trying to do pure things, and then next thing you know, less than pure things are the consequences of that. You know, you intended something positive, and so you're not... I don't think you should be held to some kind of moral indictment. Now, again, there may be a legal indictment, there may be a social indictment, so on and so on. But morally, I think you're in the clear. So how's that for a tangent? Anyway, so this is page 20, getting back into uh, the Time Trapper's... uh, I don't even know what his sort of recitation of his agenda, his explicating his motives here a little bit. Page 20, panel four, he says, but I never realized you were also capable of blocking my rise until you beat back the mighty dark side. Yes, the puppets now actually threatened the puppet master. Confrontation was inevitable. The great war between us ensued. Five years ago, you believed in your arrogance that you destroyed me, but you could not. Now now I fear you can, for my power fades as yours grows ever stronger. You can kill me, my son, but know the price. If I'm destroyed, the time stream will accommodate my final whim. I will never have existed. If you destroy me this day, I will vanish from reality. Past and present. All my handiwork will be undone. This mock universe will exist, but the seeds I planted here, you, will never come to fruition. Without my intervention, 30th century man will never have entered the mock universe, and the events that caused the formation of the Legion will never have occurred. Kill me, and you and everything you hold dear. Will be gone. And that is a sacrifice too great for you to make. And Monel's retort to that on page 21 here Monel's retort to that is Well, Trapper, maybe you did create me and the Legion. Maybe the greatest man I've ever known was your puppet. And maybe my Legion won't have existed without you. But somehow, somewhere, somebody else will rise up to take our places. The only thing that matters now is what won't survive if I let you live. And so, God help me, it's all got to end now. And this is a really well done uh, uh, effect with the art. First off, at the uh, uh, this is at the uh, top of uh, this is at the uh, the top of page twenty one. Um, Panels one through three, they're sort of a close-up. They're like if you could just imagine a camera slowly panning in on somebody as they're giving a dramatic monologue. The camera's just slowly zooming in on their face as Monel says all of that. And then panel four, he rears back his fist and he says, "So God help me, it's all got to end now." You know. And so that's panel uh, panel four. Panel five is him actually throwing the punch. And now, 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 now—that's just slowly echoing out of, um, uh, I guess, out of earshot, for lack of a better way of putting it. Panel five is all blurry. You can't—you you can see a general blob meant, that's meant to represent Monel's fist, and then slowly things start whiting out. The time trapper is dead, and he's taken all of creation with it, and that is the end of the issue. And then page 22 is a completely white page. It only has the uh, credits on there. And that is that. Now, in the last episode, I spent a fair amount of time talking about uh, uh, Tom Beerbaum's Live Journal, which you can find at it's okay, I'm a senator, dot live journal, dot com. But uh, he basically talks about this, this issue. And I don't want to read his, he actually talks about the entire five years later run, to be honest with you. I don't want to read his entire, his entire blog. I mean, number one, that's going to take a while. Number two, it kind of takes away a little bit of his thunder if I do that. And number three, you know, it, you really, you really should go over there. If you're, if, if you're curious about five years later, you really should go to it's okay. I'm a com and just read what he has to say for yourself. Because I think, I think this is a, this is a real eye opener. So I, so, I, like I say, just for those reasons, I don't want to read the entire thing, but I do want to read, you know, uh, just a few, a few highlights here. And so, uh, let's see. So, starting with, yeah, here we go. Uh, Tom Beerbombs uh, says, in a nutshell, and he's basic. What, what he's trying to do here is basically explain why this is all happening. Because, it, in case it's not clear, the Legion's history has just changed in a big way. So. Tom Bierbaum basically wants to explain why this is happening. And he writes In a nutshell, our editor and the Superman editor had a disagreement, and the result was the Superman editor saying we could no longer use any of the Superman mythos in the Legion. That was to include any Kryptonian references, even Monel's name. And so I want to put all of this on pause and say, you know, guys. I wasn't around, okay, for any of this stuff. I don't know any of the people who were involved in this feud. And so, I'm not going to cast moral judgments upon anybody that this person is the is the good guy and this other person over here this is the, this is the bad guy. I'm not going to say any of that, okay? What I am going to say is that, you know, I can understand where as a Legion uh, as a, a Legion fan, reading this stuff is probably enough to to Russell, your jimmies into upper orbit, you know, that the GIFs story is having to be compromised in this way over a bunch of behind-the-scenes bullshit that shouldn't affect anybody. But guys, you know, I imagine that in the mid to late 80s, DC Comics was a pretty tense place to work, all right? Because you had this huge event, which is to say Crisis on Infinite Earths, that basically fucked with continuity in a in in a pretty pretty big way i would say you know even if john byrne hadn't come along and rebooted superman crisis on infinite earths would have really done a serious number on the pre-crisis superman's history by which i mean superman of earth one would have done a serious amount of mutilation to his history and so, this isn't a matter of, you know, one person's the good guy, one person's the bad guy. You know, it, like I say, guys, I said it just a little while ago, life is rarely ever that simple. In fact, I might even go so far as to say it's almost never that simple. <clears throat> but nevertheless, there was a lot of bullshit that was happening behind the scenes. And,. I don't know this to be true, but I wouldn't be surprised if the people from the Superman office were kind of resentful of the people from the Legion of the, uh, the, the Legion of Superheroes office in that guys, it's really easy and tempting and maybe even accurate, just factually correct to view the Legion of Superheroes as a spin-off of Superman. Separate offices, separate editorial departments, uh, separate everything. But you're not really being very honest if you deny the Legion's connections to Superman. And I think it's fair to say that the Legion of Superheroes is a Superman spinoff in some way or another, right? I don't really think that's, that's deniable. And so the people in the Superman office, I guess I could understand where they're coming from if their opinions are, look, We're trying to put together our own books right now. We don't have time to deal with you and your bullshit, okay? These are our books. You're technically a spinoff. We don't want the tail to wag the fucking dog here, guys, all right? And I can imagine that, you know, things may have started off as minor disagreements. They escalated. Maybe things got more heated. Things got worse and worse. I've read from... You know, this is like anonymous sources say type stuff, but I've read uh, on the Internet, you know, people who have said that some of the people in the Superman office, have there there were instances where they almost came to blows with people from the Legion office. And there were some, th- these things may have started off as, you know, petty annoyances and maybe, you know... Uh, Harsh words here and there, and now it's like by the time we get to this point in in history, guys, there's like real bad blood between these people, right? Uh, as far as I know, I'm not. This is just a rumor. This is just you know things that I've heard. So don't take this as gospel truth is or anything like that. But I've read a lot of from people who sound like they know what they're talking about that there is open animosity between Mike Carlin and Mark Wade to this fucking day. You know, they just can't stand the sight of each other, can't stand to be in the same room together. And so uh, I can only imagine, you know, if that's how things are right now, what must they have been like back in 1989? And so is it kind of petty perhaps for the Superman office to say, okay, you know what, fuck all you guys. You're not allowed now to use anything that has anything to do with our books. Uh, Nothing to do with Krypton, no nothing. That's not going to be in your books anymore, all right? You want to play hardball assholes? Here's hardball for you. Have fun. Try, you know, have fun trying to sort that out, you know? And again, this isn't to say that one person is clearly in the wrong and the other person's clearly the victim. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I can easily see where tempers really would have boiled over. In DC editorial offices and starting in probably about 1987 and just going right on from there. You know, I can totally picture that. So, anyway, moving right along, uh, Tom Bierbaum goes on to write We're in the middle of issue number four when all of this came about, meaning all this drama with the Superman office. We're in the middle of issue number four when all of this came about. As it turned out, the idea that Mary and I came up with to rework Legion history could be put in place in this very issue if we took the planned ending in a different direction. He goes on to write So, in this issue, we'd find out that Monel wasn't really dead back in that old story. He was very close to death, but not quite there yet. So, the device projected Eltro Gan's being into Monel's body, and Eltro's personality took over. Though what was left of Monel's surviving personality was kicking around in there too, relatively dormant as Eltro became the dominant personality. This to us fit in a neat twist on fit in as a neat twist on why the well adjusted Monell of the nineteen sixties became the brooding, psychologically unstable Monell of the nineteen seventies and nineteen eighties. Uh, excuse me while I get a sip off my coke here, because I've been running my mouth now, I'm not virtually nonstop for how over an hour at this point. So just a minute. I'm also going to get a drag off of uh, my e-cig, probably a couple of drags, in fact. Good stuff. All right, so back to uh back to uh, Tom Beerbaum here. He says, "But after Keith and I, rather after Keith and we had penciled and scripted several pages of this issue, the edict about not using the Superman mythos hit. We talked it over with Keith and really didn't know what to do, but gave ourselves a few days to think about it." And from there he just basically describes the the innards of this issue, you know the Time Trapper's machinations and all that stuff. He goes on to say, Knowing what I know now and with the perspective of experience, the perspective and experience we've picked up since then, I doubt I'd have the courage to advocate trying something this complicated and this ambitious and controversial and impolitic for the DC of that era. But it was a hell of a great story, and I'm glad we were dumb enough to go for it. He goes on to say, in any event, Keith liked the idea, and our editor Mark Wade liked it, and it seemed to address our problems. But what we never really focused on was what ha- what would happen to the then-current Superman continuity if Monel and Super uh, Superboy retroactively never existed, and that turned out to be the downfall of the whole thing. The story work- worked great for the Legion's needs, but created problems with the Superman continuity, and the Superman people had no interest in doing anything in their books to address it. Thus, we ultimately had to include as an uh, include an epilogue, uh, uh, seen in issue number thirteen, in which we reveal that the trapper still isn't quite dead, and the pocket universe lives on because of necessary events in the twentieth century, without which the new timeline would unravel. It was a compromise that seemed to satisfy everyone, and certainly created enough confusion to befuddle those who are trying to attack and pick apart our storyline. I'm gonna just put this on pause and say, this was actually one of the few times, uh, you know, reading uh, Tom Beerbaum's, uh recollections of what all happened. This is one of the few times where I actually found myself taking sides a little bit, you know, because I actually got kind of pissed off about this, that it's okay for the Superman office to royally screw over, uh, the Legion of Superheroes office by removing Superboy from continuity, but the Legion of Superheroes office isn't really allowed to do likewise by removing the... Well, by removing the existence of the Pocket Universe from, from continuity such that it never existed in the first place because, guys, I get it, the Supergirl saga, which takes place in the Pocket Universe, that is arguably the most pivotal Non-Man of Steel storyline in the entire pre-Doomsday Superman canon. All right, that's the the granddaddy of them all. All right, everything that happened in Superman comics, from I should say probably 1988, going right on through until at least at least 1993, is all either directly or indirectly because of the Supergirl saga. But it's like at the same time, you know, guys, the Legion of Superheroes' entire reason for being, namely Superboy, was removed from continuity, and they just kind of had to roll with it, you know? So, I mean, again, I'm not trying to say that one side is right and the other side is wrong, but this to me seems a little bit unjust, you know, that the Superman office is able to force uh the legion office to make all these different accommodations and everything but the legion office is in no position to force the superman office to make similar accommodations you know it's like assholes which is it you know so anyway i don't know whatever i'm look again I'm, it sounds like i'm taking sides and i'm not i'm just saying that this to me i read this and that sounds kind of like bullshit. okay that's just that's not cool all right that's not fair so Anyway, moving right along, Beer Bomb goes on to say, but as complicated as the original story was, I always felt like it had an integral simplicity to it. The Time Trapper creates the pocket universe, Superboy, and other events to create the Legion and stop Mordru from conquering the universe. The Time Trapper is destroyed, his machinations go away, and the original timeline with Mordru conquering the universe Reasserts itself and then he goes on to get into some spoilery stuff beyond what I've already said anyway And I don't want to touch too much upon that Uh, He wraps this all up by saying that seems like a strong straightforward concept that Isn't that hard to understand but add in that the pocket universe remained necessary And so it was kept around to preserve some events in the 20th century and there's a certain loss of symmetry and elegance But I suppose as compromises go this wasn't a terrible one and it seems like the Legion office is the one having to do all of the fucking compromises here. So, anyway. Uh, Bomb writes... Uh, he wraps it all up by writing... I also love the white page at the end. I think Keith came up with that exact effect, but I'm pretty sure I came up with the general strategy of having number four and number five end as those timelines unravel, leaving re- readers to wait until the next issue to see what emerges from the whiteout. Of course... Others quickly decided that once Keith and we had left the Legion, there'd be no more white event, quote-unquote. I remain pleased that our white events were carefully conceived to have a certain internal consistency and to preserve Legion history as closely as possible, while also keeping around the possibility of bringing back the original history completely intact once the restrictions on the Superman mythos were removed, All we had to do was figure out a way to resurrect the Time Trapper and have his machinations reassert themselves and all would be as it was. Instead, because readers supposedly couldn't deal with Valor replacing Superboy and somebody, actually I'm not even going to say this part, they got the complete elimination of the entire, uh... yeah, they got the complete elimination of the entire history. This is something that puzzles me about modern comics readership, how many fans actively prefer to start a continuity over rather than deal with a continuity they don't like or that's difficult to fully master. They want to both know everything and not to work very hard in order to know it. For my part, I always like knowing that there would always be more out there you could find and learn that would deepen your knowledge of the whole universe. Obviously you need to have some general mastery of the uh, of the concept to enjoy any given story that you're reading, but to me, all you ever really needed to know about the Legion was that it was set in the future and the Legionnaires were the good guys trying to stop the bad guys. And that I think is a pretty, that's a pretty eloquent way of summing it all up, I think. You know, this is a, first off, just on the technical level, just on like a fan level, this is just a fucking great issue. I love this issue. This is just a ridiculously good story, and I can't get enough of it. But when you look at the amount of creative vision that had to go into crafting this thing in the first place, this and, of course, goings on in issue number five, but we'll get to that when we get to that. You know, when you look at the amount of vision, talent, and and just passion that has to go into this stuff, it's just, my God, It's this, this is... I would say one of the great Legion stories of all time, and again, like I said in my last episode, don't mistake me for some big Legion of Superheroes expert. I mean, if simply enjoying Legion of Superheroes stories means that I get to call myself a fan, then fine, I get to call myself a fan. I'm a Legion of Superheroes fan. But I wouldn't sit here and and, and blow sunshine and tell you that I'm some kind of big Legion of Superheroes expert guy. Because that's just really not me. You know, but... Notwithstanding the fact that maybe I don't have any right to make this claim, I still say that Legion of Superheroes, number four, this story that we're talking about right here, this is one of the great Legion stories that's ever been told. And you know what? One of the things I keep forgetting to mention in all of these different uh, five years later episodes that I keep doing is that it's really shocking that DC has never really reprinted any of the five years later stuff. And to, for me, it's it's like, for as tragic as that is, it's like it's a double tragedy that Legion of Superheroes number four has never been reprinted. Because this is just a great time travel story, if you like. Uh, uh, I hate to use this term because if I'm not a Legion of Superheroes fan, I for goddamn sure I'm not a big Doctor Who fan. But this tiny whiny type stuff that's going on in this story, I love this stuff. I eat it up with a spoon. And... This to me this is just this is great comics, you know? This is what I want from comics. And it's just it, it's it, it's incredibly well crafted. It's ingenious. It's it's well thought out. It's just oh god, it's just it, it's great. Love it. I just enjoy, it. can't get enough of it. So anyway, this episode has already gone a lot longer than I originally planned for it to and so for that I apologize, but at least for right now You know, I think that this is probably a pretty good time for me to just go ahead and wrap everything up. Now, next time I'm obviously going to be talking about Legion of Superheroes Volume 4, Number 5. Speaking of great Legion stories, this is another real doozy that I just can't get enough of. And in fact, you know, when I think about Legion of Superheroes Number 4, it's like, uh, if this this was coming out today, most writers would would want this to be like a a 4 or 5 or 6 issue storyline. And I would say the same is true of issue number five. Most people would want that to be another maybe three or four or five or six issues, and they're not. Uh, Legion of Superheroes number four is one issue. Story begins here, ends here. And Legion of Superheroes number five, same thing. It's done in one. It It begins there, and it ends there. And there's just so much potential, so much creative possibility that it's difficult to think that there's any chance of, uh, of these stories being done as single issues today, I just don't think that that's realistic. I, if, if number four and number five were released today, between the two of them, they probably easily work out to at least 10 or 12 issues, if not more. So anyway, but that's all that stuff. So right now I'm feeling pretty hungry. So I'm gonna go get some chili dogs. So bye everybody. I will see you next time. So I think that's just about the end of that. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. You can find the home for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find this show on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. feel free to email me. And I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Since we're on the subject of feedback, Trentus Magnus Punches Reality can be found on iTunes just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Won't you take a moment to rate my show on iTunes? That helps new listeners find the show. And, just in case you don't think that I've given you enough shit to click on just yet, you can sponsor my show simply by going to 2 twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the PayPal button, donate any amount at all, specify that you're sending Magnus some monetary love, and you will be an official sponsor of my show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a Trennis Magnus show sponsor today. I don't have a Patreon. Because if you think that I hate Twitter, boy, just wait till you hear what I think of Patreon. So, if you want to throw some bucks my way, the Two True Freaks PayPal link is the way to do it. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law. Some assembly required. Batteries not included. Many will enter. Few will win. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18.